ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so in the previous lessons We've been going through some of the conditions of the prayer. We talked about the facing of the qibla, the covering of the awra, the intention, all various aspects that lead up to the prayer. All of those other conditions of the prayer for the prayer to be valid. Now then, in chapter 8, we come to the actual description of the prayer itself. Once you now start praying... How do you actually pray the prayer? So firstly, the first thing to take note of is that an individual when he prays, he recognizes that he is praying purely and sincerely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sincerity in worship is a condition in all of our acts of worship. Whatever that act of worship may be, even the act of seeking knowledge is an act of worship. It is ibadah that a person spends his time in seeking knowledge of the Qur'an and the sunnah, seeking knowledge of the prayer. This is all considered worship and it is rewarded So an individual needs to be sincere in seeking knowledge, sincere in then practicing that knowledge, and sincere therefore in the establishment of that prayer. So the individual, when he establishes that prayer, he needs to ensure that he establishes it, performs it, in the manner that has been prescribed in the sunnah. It is no good that a person comes along trying to do worship in any random manner without knowing how it's supposed to actually be done. In Surah Al-Fatiha, when you read, غَيْرِ الْمَغْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ when you read the ayat of Allah guide us to the straight path, the path of those whom you have blessed, not upon the path of whom your anger is upon, nor upon the path of those who have gone astray. The ones who have gone astray are misguided. And who are those who have gone astray and were misguided? They were the ones who were attempting to worship Allah without knowledge, attempting to worship Allah upon ignorance. And the Muslim is not to be upon that characteristic. The Muslim worships his Lord upon knowledge. And that's why the scholars, they say, knowledge is not sought for the sake of knowledge. We don't seek knowledge for the sake of knowledge itself. We seek knowledge for the sake of then being able to do our worship properly based upon that knowledge. That is the purpose of seeking knowledge. 
so that you can do your worship properly. All of this knowledge, what is it? It is knowledge telling us, explaining to us how to worship our Lord. So you seek this knowledge in order that you can then worship Allah in the correct and proper manner. When it comes to the prayer itself, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, صَلُّوا كَمَا رَأَيْتُمُونِ أُصَلِّي Pray as though you have seen me pray. Pray as you have seen me pray. That is a clear hadith in Bukhari telling us that we must pray upon the same manner that the Prophet ﷺ used to pray upon. We must pray in the same way that the Prophet ﷺ used to pray. It's not just a case of coming and takbir and prostration however you want. You need to pray and do that worship <coughs> in accordance to the sunnah. And that's why the scholars, they say, the description of the Prophet's prayer is two types. There are two different descriptions of the Prophet's prayer. One is a general description of the Prophet's prayer. And one is a higher level, more precise description of the Prophet's prayer. The general description of the Prophet's prayer is somebody who prays and performs all of the pillars of the prayer and performs all of the obligations of the prayer. Somebody who prays and does all of the pillars, does all of the obligations. Is his prayer going to be valid? Valid. If he does all of the pillars, does all of the obligations, the wajibat, his prayer is valid. But that is only a general level. You're only going to get a certain amount of reward for doing that. The proper description of the Prophet's prayer is one more level higher than that. That is, to perform the pillars, to perform the obligations... And to perform the sunan, the sunnah acts throughout the prayer. As you will come to see, there are pillars, there are obligations, and there are many sunnah things in the prayer too. For you to pray accurately as the Prophet ﷺ used to pray, then you need to implement all three. Obviously the pillars and the obligations but then on top of that, the sunnah acts that the Prophet ﷺ informed us of. By doing all three, then you have performed the actual description of the Prophet's prayer. If you miss the sunnah things out and you just do the pillars and the obligations, okay, your prayer is valid. But it's only a part of the way there. You've only partially implemented the prayer of the Prophet ﷺ. So the purpose of this will now be to understand what the pillars are, what the wajibat and the obligations are, and also what some of these sunnah acts during the prayer are. There is a famous hadith, hadith of Abu Hurairah, radiyallahu anhu. And this particular hadith is known as the hadith about the man who prayed badly. That's the hadith, what it's known as. 
some hadith in the sunnah, they get known by certain names. Like for example, the hadith of Jibreel. Everybody heard about the hadith of Jibreel. That's the hadith when Jibreel came to the Prophet ﷺ and asked him those questions. It's become known as the hadith of Jibreel. Here now, when it comes to the prayer, there's another famous hadith. It's known as the hadith about the man who prayed badly. There's a famous hadith that on one occasion, the Prophet ﷺ was sitting in the mosque and a man walked in. A man walked in and he uh, came and prayed. The Prophet ﷺ was sitting in the mosque. A man walked in and prayed. Tahiyatul Masjid or some prayer. He prayed as he came in. After he finished prayer, finished that prayer, he went over to the Prophet ﷺ to give him salam. When he went over to give the Prophet ﷺ salam, he gave him the salam. The Prophet ﷺ replied, وَعَلَيْكُمُ salam." And then the Prophet ﷺ said to him, Go back and pray again. Go back and pray again. For indeed, you have not prayed. So the man, he went back. And he prayed again. Repeated his prayer. Then he came back to the Prophet ﷺ, gave him salam again. The Prophet ﷺ replied and again said to him, Go back and pray again. For indeed, you have not prayed. So then the man went back again and tried. Two or three times this happened. Eventually on the third or the fourth occasion, when the Prophet ﷺ said to him again, Go back and pray, you have not prayed. The man eventually said to the Prophet ﷺ, that, O Messenger of Allah, that's all I know. How I just prayed, that's all I know. I don't know how else, what, what am I doing wrong? I don't understand how else I'm supposed to pray, what I'm supposed to do. This is all I know. So the man told the Prophet ﷺ that he doesn't know anything else. That's how he knows, that's what he's learned. Obviously he was making some mistake. Obviously he was making some mistake. Every time he prayed and came to the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ was telling him, you haven't prayed, go back and pray again. He did it two or three times and he kept making that same mistake. Obviously the man didn't know what mistake he was making. But the Prophet ﷺ was noticing he's making a mistake. So the third or the fourth time the man said, this is all I know, I don't know. I don't understand how or what. So then the Prophet ﷺ explained to him, the details of how to pray. And he told him, when you stand for the prayer, then make your wudu, then face the qibla, then say the takbir. And he went through all of the prayer and explained to the man properly. The big thing that the man was missing was the tuma'nina. He did not have any settlement in his prayer. No calmness in his prayer. He was rushing through his prayer, missing bits out, not doing it properly. So the Prophet ﷺ eventually explained to him exactly how he should be doing it. That hadith is known as the hadith of the man who prayed badly. Because he came in, he prayed, the Prophet saw him, ﷺ. when he came and gave the salam, he told him that wasn't prayer, go back again. He tried again, the Prophet said to him, still not right, go again. Two or three times, until eventually the man said, I don't know what to do then. So then the Prophet ﷺ gave him the full detailed description of how he should be praying.
The scholars, they say there is wisdom in that. Why did the Prophet ﷺ not just say to him the first time, when the man walked in and prayed, and then came and gave salam, why didn't the Prophet ﷺ just tell him the first time, I just seen you pray, but you made this mistake and that mistake, and this mistake, go do that properly now. He didn't tell him. He just said to him, go and pray again, that was wrong. So the man went and tried again, made the mistake again. The second time the Prophet still didn't tell him, this is your mistake and that's your mistake. He just said to him, go and pray again. That was wrong. So he went and tried again. Why? Why didn't the Prophet just tell him the first time, I just saw you pray, you made this mistake, that mistake, go repeat it and fix those mistakes. Why didn't you just tell him from the beginning? He said to him, go back and try again, go back and try again. Two or three or four times he tried, until eventually the man said, I don't know what to do then. Then the Prophet told him the mistakes. Why do it like that? Why not just tell him from the first time, this is the mistakes I noticed? He asked, but the first time when you walked in, imagine now you're sitting in the mosque and you see somebody come in and pray and they do something wrong. And they come and give you salam, what would you do? Straight away you would say, you know, I noticed you prayed, but you made a mistake with this or that, go, you better go repeat it. Wouldn't you do that? So how come the Prophet didn't do that? Sort of, sort of, to see if the man would realize. Obviously he didn't realize. So then when he didn't realize after two or three or four attempts, now the man is eager to find out what is the mistake. Now he has an extra level of keenness, an extra level of eagerness to find out what is it. I don't get it. Two times, three times I've tried. What is the mistake? So now after having done that, the wisdom was the man would be extra, extra eager to find out which part, where was it, what was wrong. Whereas if you just tell him from the first time, first time, if you just tell him, he'll go and do it and rectify it and it may not really sink in. Next day he comes back and makes the same mistake. So they say this was from the wisdom of the Prophet ﷺ, allowed him to try two or three times and he still couldn't do it. Now the man was focused. He wanted to know what's going on, where am I doing something wrong? Now when the Prophet ﷺ told him, he was never going to forget now. After two or three attempts, now he's been told, now it will definitely sink into what he was doing wrong. So they say that was from the wisdom of the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ used to do this type of thing for da'wah. Sometimes the Prophet ﷺ would ask the companions questions on purpose. He would ask them questions on purpose, even though obviously the Prophet ﷺ knew the answer. But he would be asking the companions on purpose questions. Why? Because again, when you ask somebody a question and they don't know the answer, now you've got their attention. You've got their focus. You ask them a question like he did to Mu'ad ibn Jabal. He said to him, تَدْرِ مَا حَقُّ اللَّهِ عَلَى الْعِبَادِ Do you know what the right of Allah is upon his servants? Do you know what the right of Allah is upon his servants? Mu'ad ibn Jabal said, I don't know. Then he said to him, أَتَدْرِ مَا حَقُّ الْعِبَادِ عَلَى اللَّهِ Do you know what the right of the servants is upon Allah? Meaning what Allah has blessed us with. Mu'ad ibn Jabal again said, I don't know. So now the Prophet started telling him the answer. Now Mu'ad ibn Jabal was completely focused. What is the answer to those two questions then? Whereas if you just tell somebody straight away, maybe their mind wasn't focused when you start telling them. They weren't uh, focused in on that point. 
But when you ask a question, now you've got their attention, they're thinking about that question, they don't know what the answer is, they know you're about to tell them, they're focused on the answer. So the Prophet ﷺ used to do these types of things in order for that knowledge to become ingrained within the companions. The description of the Prophet's prayer, where do we get it from? Sunnah only. So in the Qur'an, what is mentioned about the prayer? Is the detailed description of how we pray mentioned in the Qur'an? It is not. What is mentioned in the Qur'an? Generally about praying, standing in prayer, ruku' sujood. Generally some things are mentioned in the Qur'an about prayer. Details of what you do exactly and what you read and everything, none of the details are mentioned in the Qur'an. So where are the details mentioned then? In the sunnah. That's why it is important to understand that the Qur'an and the sunnah, they go hand in hand. Some people, they come along to you and they say, forget about hadith, just tell us lectures from the Qur'an. Hadith, we don't know, is it authentic, is it, is it weak, is it fabricated, how do we know about hadith? Just give us lectures on the Qur'an, they say. But how can you? If we wanted to talk about the description of the Prophet's prayer now, it's impossible without the sunnah. You must have the sunnah along with it. And in fact, there is a narration, Imran ibn Hussein, radiallahu anhu, one of the companions, once he was giving a lecture. And he was talking to them, giving them a lecture, mentioning ayat of the Qur'an and a hadith from the sunnah. Somebody got up in the audience and he said, forget about these hadith. Hadith, I don't know, are they authentic, are they not? Who's the chain of narration? Is it, who knows? Quran, Quran is Quran. We know that's 100%. So just give us a lecture from the Quran. Hadith, these things we need to work out. Is it authentic, not authentic? It's complicated. Forget that. Just do Quran lecture. Tell us about ayat and things. So then Imran ibn Hussein said to him, he said to him, Udunu, said to the man, come here. So that man came close. So then Imran ibn Hussein said to him, if you depended on the Qur'an alone, if we were to do what you're telling us to do, Qur'an only, no sunnah, forget the hadith, Qur'an only, then how would you know, where would you learn that dhuhr is four rakaat? Does it mention anywhere in the Qur'an that dhuhr prayer is four rakaat? It doesn't. So how have you learned that? Where from? The sunnah. Does it tell you anywhere in the Qur'an that Asr is four rakaat? It doesn't. So where have you learned it from? Sunnah. Does it tell you anywhere that Maghrib is three rakaat? You read loud in the first two, quiet in the third one. Is that in the Qur'an? No. So how do you know it? Why do you do that? Because you learned it in the Sunnah. So therefore, it is important to understand that the Qur'an and the Sunnah, they go hand in hand. And the sunnah, it explains and details things mentioned in the Qur'an. Allah said, وَأَنزَلْنَا إِلَيْكَ الذِّكْرَ لِتُبَيِّنَ لِلنَّاسِ مَا نُزِّلَ إِلَيْهِمْ وَلَعَلَّهُمْ يَتَفَكَّرُونَ That we have also sent down unto you, O Muhammad, the reminder and the advice, meaning the Qur'an, that you may explain clearly to them what is sent down to them, and that they may give thought to that. That you, O Muhammad, may explain to them what has been revealed to them. What's been revealed to them? To us? 
the Qur'an. What's the explanation of the Prophet ﷺ on the Qur'an? That's the Sunnah. The Sunnah is the explanation. So in the Qur'an we are being told about the Sunnah. In the Qur'an we are being told that the Prophet ﷺ is going to explain to us the Qur'an. That explanation is the Sunnah, all these ahadith. In another ayah it says, وَمَا يَنْطِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَىٰ إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا وَحْيَنُوحَىٰ The Prophet ﷺ does not speak from desire. Rather, that is revelation given to him. Sunnah is revelation given to him. In another ayah, وَمَا آتَاكُمُ الرَّسُولُ فَخُضُوهُ وَمَا نَهَاكُمْ عَنْهُ فَانْتَهُ Whatever the Prophet ﷺ gives you, then take it. Whatever he prohibits you from, stay away from it. Where is those commands and prohibitions? Sunnah. All of this indicates the obligation to follow the Sunnah along with the Quran. And that's why the Prophet said, Taraktu fikum shay'ain. I have left two things for you. Ma intamasaktum bihima lantadillu ba'di. If you stick on to these two things, then you will not go astray. You will not become misguided after me. The two things, Kitab Allah, the book of Allah, was sunnati and my sunnah. So here then, we know that we are going to learn through the Quran and through the explanation of the sunnah. So when it comes to this prayer then, as Shaykh Al-Thaymeen mentions, that a person, a man, leaves from his house pure, from minor and major impurity. Leaves from your house, having performed your wudu upon purity, not having any minor or major impurity upon you, not having any impurity upon your garments, and you go with calmness to the prayer. This is an important point. That when you are heading to the prayer, you head there and you go there in a calm fashion. You don't rush to the prayer. You don't hurry to the prayer. You go there in a calm manner. And that's actually in a hadith. It is mentioned in a hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said, that when you go to the prayer or when you hear the iqama then proceed to offer the prayer with calmness and do not rush. It's even mentioned in another hadith, مَا أَدْرَكْتُمْ فَصَلُّوا Whatever you catch, then pray. And whatever you don't catch, then make it up. So go calmly to the mosque. You're not supposed to run to the mosque. You're not supposed to be rushing to the mosque, even if you're late. Go calmly. Whatever you catch of the prayer, you catch it calmly. Whatever you miss, you get up after the imam gives salam and you finish it off. But you don't run and rush to get to the prayer. Instead, you should get ready early in the first place. Get ready early in the first place so you can go there calmly. Don't get ready late so you have to rush and run to the prayer. If you end up being late, then it's not allowed to rush. Go calmly to the prayer and then just catch afterwards once the imam finishes whatever you've missed. There is also a hadith talking about the reward of going to the mosque. Every step that you take towards the mosque, Allah upgrades you a degree in reward, raises you a level in reward, and wipes out a sin for every step. 
you are raised up in reward with every step you take and a sin is removed with every step you take towards the mosque. Imagine that. Every step you take walking to the mosque, you could live half a mile away, a 10 minute walk. Every step of that 10 minute walk to the mosque, you are being raised in your reward and your sins are being removed. With every step you're taking towards the mosque. When you arrive at the mosque, then you can recite the dua, Bismillah, wassalamu ala rasulillah, Allahumma ghfirli dhunubi, waftahli abwaba rahmatik. That in the name of Allah, and the salam, the safety and security be upon the messenger of Allah, the peace be upon the messenger of Allah, that, O Allah, forgive me my sins and open for me the doors to your mercy. Forgive for me my sins and open to me the doors to your mercy. That is the dua you are making as you enter into the mosque with your right foot. Entering into the mosque with your right foot, you make the dua, Allah, open up the doors to mercy for me. Then, also, when you enter into the mosque, and you stand up in the row, it is sunnah, of course you're not going to be facing the qibla, it is sunnah to do one particular thing before the prayer starts. You can do something before the prayer begins. The siwak, using that siwak just before the prayer is about to start is a sunnah. It's a sunnah to do that, to use that miswak, just to clean the teeth out just before the prayer is about to begin. Left hand or right hand, when using the siwak, there is nothing firmly established. Some scholars, they say, use your right hand. Other scholars, they say, it's okay, you can use your left hand. There is nothing firmly established about which hand you use. It all depends on how a person understands the act of using the siwak. Some scholars say it is an act of purification. Purification is done with the left hand. So they say use your left hand. Other scholars they say no, it's not really purification. It is an act of worship in particular. So use your right hand. So there's nothing particularly established about which hand to use. Then, the first thing you're going to do now, after making your intention now, you're standing, you're facing, it's going to be the opening takbir. Takbiratul ihram as it is known as. The opening Allahu Akbar. That opening takbir, when you say Allahu Akbar, that is a pillar of the prayer. Meaning, if you forgot to do that opening takbir, then all of your prayer will be invalid. It doesn't even count. You haven't even started praying. You can only start praying, enter into the prayer with that opening takbir. Takbiratul ihram. So when a person makes that takbir and he says, Allahu Akbar, then those words are the words that enter a person into the prayer. And you must be careful how you say it. Allahu Akbar. 
Some people they say it incorrectly, they pronounce it incorrectly. And that can change the meaning of it and it can make it invalid. So for example, some people they say Allahu Akbar. You hear people doing that. They're about to start their prayer, so they say Allahu Akbar. Some people do it. Because they're taking their hands up, as they are taking their hands up all the way. Allahu Akbar. That would actually be incorrect. It would actually be wrong to say it like that. Because what have you done wrong in the pronunciation? The beginning part, you've stretched it out. Allahu Akbar. When you stretch it out like that and you say Allahu Akbar. In Arabic, that now means what? Is Allah the greatest? When you stretch out the beginning alif, it makes it into a question in Arabic. Allahu Akbar means, is Allah the greatest? And obviously that's completely incorrect to say that. So, you do not stretch it out at the beginning. You don't say, Allahu Akbar. Similarly, some people they say, they might make a mistake and do Allahu Akbar. Now they've made the stretch at the end. Allahu Akbar. Making that stretch at the end again changes the pattern of the word. And again changes and corrupts the meaning of it. Akbar is a plural of a different word. So again, you wouldn't be allowed to change that and say Allahu Akbar. It's supposed to be Allahu Akbar. Straight, simple. Allahu Akbar. What about when some people say Allahu Akbar? What's happened there? Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. The wow. Instead of Allahu, Allahu Akbar. It's Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. Wakbar. Wa. Wakbar. What about that? Allahu Akbar. People often they say it Allahu Akbar. When you're saying it, you're pronouncing a wow. There is no wow in that. It's Allahu Akbar. But people when they say it, pronouncing Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. Wow pronounced. Is that allowed or not? It's not correct, but that doesn't actually change the meaning of anything really. Because it is known in the Arabic language, Hamza can be changed for a while. So if somebody did that, that wouldn't be a major issue, it would still be okay. But Allahu Akbar and Allahu Akbar, those types of things are not permissible. So when you say Allahu Akbar at the same time, uh, very uh, close to that time, you're also going to be doing what? Raising your hands. You are going to be raising your hands when you do the opening takbir. When do you raise your hands during the opening takbir? You've got three options. Either you raise your hands exactly at the same time as you say it. So, Allahu Akbar. Exactly at the same time as you said it, you raise your hands. Allahu Akbar. Or... Other option is you could raise your hands after you say it. You could say, 
Allahu Akbar. After you said it. And the third option could be, you do your hands, and then Allahu Akbar. Which one is right? At the same time, Allahu Akbar, or Allahu Akbar, or Allahu Akbar. Same time, before it, after it. Which one? All of them. Anything you want? All of them allowed? Fatwa has come that all of them are allowed. Any other opinions? So everybody agrees all of them are allowed then. That's the photo from everybody. As far as I know, what's more correct is while she's doing it. While she's doing it. Same time as he's doing it. Alright. Doing it at the same time, there is a hadith in Bukhari about it. There is a hadith in Bukhari, you're supposed to do it at the same time. <coughs> doing it before the takbir, so... Allahu Akbar. Before you say it, there's a hadith in Muslim about it. So that can be done too. And doing it after the takbir, so Allahu Akbar. There's another hadith in Sahih Muslim about it as well. So all three are possible. All three are possible. There are a hadith in Bukhari and Muslim about all three combinations. So there's a leeway in that. There is some leeway in that. All three are evidenced in Bukhari, in Muslim, in other narrations, Abu Dawood, etc. as well. So, any of those would be allowed. The other question then is, where do you raise your hands up to? So, fingers up to the ears and hands. So, between the ears and the shoulders, you're saying. Everybody's saying between the ears and the shoulders. That gap between the ears and the shoulders, that's where your hand should go. Where should they be facing? Forwards. So you don't do it sideways. You don't do it any, any other way. It's forwards. So your hands are facing forwards. And you're all saying it should be in the gap between the ears and the shoulders up to that level. Any other opinions about where it could go? Just up to the shoulders. That's a bit lower down then. Anywhere else? Again, there are three possibilities. Either to the level of the shoulders, that is in Bukhari and Muslim, you can do a takbir up to the level of the shoulders. You don't have to take it higher than the shoulders. Where your shoulders are, you can raise your hands up to there. <coughs> or, there is a hadith which says, you can raise it up to the levels of the ears, the earlobes, like everybody was saying, that gap between the ears, the ears and the shoulders. Roughly that level, between the ears and the shoulders, just coming to the bottom of the ears. The third opinion is, can only be one thing. The first opinion was the shoulders, the second opinion a bit higher, coming close to the ears. Third opinion, you can even raise them up to the top of the ears. You can raise your hands up near to the top of the ears, and that's mentioned in a hadith too. So three possibilities, either up to the shoulders... A bit higher in between the shoulders and the ears, bottom of the earlobes, or a bit higher than that even, right up to the level of the ears. All of that will be allowed. What's incorrect is just flicking your hands and it doesn't even get to the level of your shoulders. Some people, they stand, Allah Akbar. A little flick of the hands. Flick the hands. Flicking the hands like that, you haven't even got to your shoulders, that's incorrect. 
Minimum is you're supposed to get to the shoulders at least. Flicking the hands, Allah Akbar, like this, and you're starting, that's not correct. Also, something people do. The what? The kickstart. The touching the ears. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, touching the ears. Is that sunnah? There is no sunnah for that. I don't know how, which hadith or where people have made this one. That you have to touch it, Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar, however they do it. Allahu Akbar, I flick on. Those ear combinations, touching the ears, leave your ears alone. There is nothing about touching your ears when you start the takbir. So touching the ears is not mentioned. But simply up to the shoulders, in between, or at the top of the ears, that's where it can be taken up to. Yeah, the actual takbir saying it, that no doubt is the rukan. Raising of the hands is not a rukan. Wajib, perhaps it, uh, for some of the scholars, they will consider this wajib because they say raising of the hands in all of the positions during the prayer is wajib. That is the opinion of some of the scholars. But it's definitely not, not rukan. So even if they don't do that, the prayer would be valid. As we're going to get to later on, Imagine, like they pray with their hands down by the sides. People, you see them praying with their hands down by the sides. Putting your hands on the shoulder, on the chest, as we're going to get to, what is that? A rukan, a wajib, a sunnah? That's a sunnah. So you're not going to, you're going to lose a lot of reward if you pray with your hands down by your side. You're losing reward because you're not praying upon the description of the Prophet But your prayer would be valid. It would be valid, but you're losing the reward of doing what the Prophet used to do. The Prophet used to pray with his hands here. Not with his hands down by the sides. And even the ones that do it by the sides, many of them they claim to be which madhab? Maliki. And it's because of a misunderstanding they have of the Maliki madhab. There was a time in the life of Imam Malik, he was beaten by the, the ruler at one time during his life. He was beaten so bad that his shoulders and arms bruised and beaten so bad he couldn't lift them. Beaten and bruised everywhere, he couldn't lift them. So there was a time in Imam Malik's life a certain time period during his life when he used to have to pray with his hands just down there. He could barely move them. He could barely get them up. He couldn't do it. So he couldn't, he couldn't bring them up here. He used to do whatever he did and he had to leave his hands down by his side. The students and people saw Imam Malik doing that and they assumed that this must be some evidence, some madhab, this must be the opinion of Imam Malik. Look how he prays. So then it became spread that Imam Malik prays like this. This is the opinion of the madhab. And this became widespread. Even though that was not an opinion of the madhab, it was simply because he was beaten at the time, he couldn't lift his hands up. So it's a mistake in the madhab. People think that Imam Malik, he said, you have to pray with your hands down. He didn't do that. Well, uh, conclude there. Is any questions on that? Is there any place where he uh, <coughs> mentions that his opinion is also uh, where to place the hands? Imam Malik? Allah, we'll have to search into the books, Tamheed, Istithkar, those kind of books. You'll find it in there. <coughs> You know the dua that you mentioned about going to the masjid? Mm. I thought it was the Awuz Billahi. Awuz Billahi al Kalimat al Hayy. That one. Oh, there's another one there too, yeah. There's another one too, yeah. Two mentioned there. Okay. Which is the most? Uh, no, both, both, uh, both are okay. Both are okay. Both are, there's two mentioned in the book. Shaykh Hatemi mentions two of them. Both can be done. What's the page? 105, 6 or something. Uh, the, one that, the one that you said, um, 
من ديز بوثم يكون بوثم دون اعوذ بالله العظيم من الشيطان الكريم لا اقوم في المسجد ولا نعم ذا بوث ذا وانز اي منشن ذير بوث ار انترينج ذا موسك بوث اوف ار انترينج ذا موسك Same that about where the hands go up to is the same for every takbir. The same for every takbir. The other takbirat aren't different. It's not like you can bring them up to here or up to there. Anyway, same, same. That's I'm telling. That's the mistake. You see people doing it. You're right. People just do this kind of thing, bring it up to here, and that's that's the chest. Should be at least to the shoulder level. At least the shoulder level. First one they do shoulder level, but then the rest of them they only do like these. No, no. All the other takbirat are the same. There's no difference about where you take the rest of the hands. All right. We'll conclude there. Then next week. Next week back to the normal time. Today was a one-off. Just the time had to be changed. Next week after Asr, so 7:15 p.m., 7:20 p.m. Asr 7 o'clock next week. So straight after Asr next week. Back to the normal time. 7:15 p.m. Inshallah.